Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. If you guys haven't checked out the new Navigator series from Lacrosse, I strongly suggest you do that. Two really good boots within that Navigator series, the Windrose and the Atlas. If you want to find out more information about all of the boots that Lacrosse offers, visit their website, lacrossefootwear.com. You won't regret it. My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Honey Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting, the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet, chasing bear. Last week, Brent Reeves and I went to Greensburg, Kansas, to hunt pheasants. We didn't take shotguns, but we took the traditional bow and a camera. This podcast is about what we learned while traditional bow hunting pheasants over German short hair pointers. We talk about the gear, the gear failure. We talk about the difficulty. We talk about the fun. We talk about pointing dogs. And so this is kind of a off-topic podcast but it's a lot of fun, and you can check out our video on the Bear Hunting Magazine YouTube channel. We just released a three-minute video that I am quite certain is going to burn up the internet, and you'll get to watch me miss a lot, and I will not tell you if I hit one. The whole point of all this is, uh, yeah, we were just looking to have some fun over some good pointing dogs and do some non-traditional wing shooting, so check that out. Also, we're continuing this week on our giveaway. And the way to be qualified for the giveaway, and this week it's for Northwoods Bear Products, we'll send you some variety, some type of Northwoods Bear Products, just one person per week. 
if you leave a comment on iTunes, take a screenshot of the comment and communicate that back to us through Instagram private message, Facebook private message, or email at info at bear-hunting.com. So leave a, leave a review and a comment of the podcast, and all of a sudden you'll be in the running for this week that's going to be getting some Northwoods bear products as we gear up and start thinking about spring bear hunting. You're going to enjoy this podcast with me and my buddy, Brent Reeves. We are in Wichita, Kansas. And I'm with my buddy, Brent Reeves. And we're doing something that we typically find ourselves doing this time of year, which is looking for something to hunt. Exactly. That is different. That is maybe not different, but, you know, we've, we've come through the fall hunting seasons, and it's still deer season in Arkansas. Yep, duck season. It's duck season in Arkansas, but there's no ducks in Arkansas. Not to amount to anything. And um, and we can still do a little bit of deer hunting and probably will. Our deer season lasts through, this, this is a leap year, so it lasts through February the 29th. Yeah. But, uh, but this is the time when we're doing some, really turning our attention to small game in a lot of ways. Yeah, I've got some squirrel hunting plans in the near future. Um, well, this is the time last year when we uh, squirrel hunted on mules with uh, Trey Autry and Michael Lanier. Yeah. Yeah. So what we did, though, this year is uh, we came to Kansas for one day to hunt pheasants. And not, not just pheasant hunting, but we were hunting with a traditional bow. Yeah, and Brent was Brent was here with me. Brent was filming, and uh, I I had seen in different places where guys were were hunting pheasants with trad bows, and I had no idea Brent if I could hit one or not. I I remember a month ago, three weeks ago, whatever it was, when you called me and said, "Hey, man." think you'd be up for a trip to Kansas to shoot some pheasants? And I'm like, yeah, I'm in. And you said, well, I'm going to do it with my boat. And I said, what has possessed you to want to do that? Because <laughs> when I immediately, when you said go to Kansas and pheasant hunt, I thought, well, we're going to do some, we're going to shoot some birds with shotguns. That's what I, right. I mean, who wouldn't think that? Right. So it, I was taken aback, but I dig it, man. I I understand. Well, the the, the genesis allure. of it was that I, I saw a guy on social media, a guy that I know that had a had just a a, a bunch of quail. They right. they went on a quail hunt in right. Missouri, and they were, uh, they were they he he he'd quail hunted, and man. It's been so long since I've been on a good quail hunt. I asked him where he went, and uh, and he and he went to some place up in Missouri, and and they were they were pen raised birds that uh-huh. they put out for him. Right, and nothing 
in any way against that. I've been on those kind of hunts, but yeah. I was I really wanted a wild bird hunt. Yeah. That's what was in my mind. And then I started uh I saw something on YouTube where a guy shot a pheasant with a traditional bow and I just thought, well man, what if we pheasant hunted and to up the game we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna use the trad bow. And um I had no idea if I can hit if I could hit one, but now I do because we went over here for a day, and um, we were here for a day. And what I said was, I believe if I have twenty shots at pheasants, I believe I could hit one. That right. is what I said. I had right. no basis for that other than that. Um, you know, I'm I'm just a decent traditional archer, but I feel like I had a I've shot enough that I that I and have shot at some moving targets and stuff that I just I just felt like I could hit them. Yeah. And uh, well, I you even you even talked to the outfitter and said, you know what, when you were setting it up, you know what's the what's the chances of getting. You know, how many shots do you think I could get during the day? And you came up with the number, you know, you know, if I could get 20 shots, I think right. I can do this. Right. You know, and, and it seemed like a legit number to me as well. Yeah. And here's the, here's the truth about it, too. I've not been shooting my traditional bow. I mean, I, I haven't shot it much in the last two months. You know, some guys are shooting their bows all the time, and and I just don't do that. At the, you know, I pick up my bow for portions of the year. Right. And uh, there's some guys that that shoot their trad bows all throughout the year. You know, not going more than a couple of days without shooting it. And uh, and I've just I've just never done that. Usually, I'm I'm picking the bow up. You know, 60 days before a hunt, and 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 and, and shooting a lot. And I found that I can be pretty accurate for big game out to 15, 18 yards by doing that. Yeah, and just getting uh, back acclimated to doing it. Right, and, yeah. and haven't had any trouble killing game that way. But this one kind of snuck up on me and uh, going to go shoot pheasants. So I don't know how to break this to everybody. But today, we, we this originally started out as a two-day trip as well. Right. This was going to be a two-day hunt. Well, we trimmed her down to where it was just a one-day hunt. So we drove six hours, got here late last night, hunted all day, and we're back on the road tonight. Well, we had some, there's forecasted for some pretty rough weather coming in. It didn't really... Yeah, it's really going to be con- snow and conducive stuff tomorrow. to yeah rain and snow, which really isn't conducive to you know good filming weather. So we thought, well, we can if we can get on the birds, you know, in one day we'll we'll knock it out today. Yeah. Let me uh, let me first start by talking about the gear that I was using. I was using a Timber Ghost traditional bow G three SS, which is the super static. The SS stands for super static. The G3 stands for Generation 3. So it was Kent Roberts' third generation of this style of three-piece takedown bows. The super static, Brent, means that those radical 
super radical limb tips. Oh yeah, which give it extreme performance. Like that bow is one of the fastest bows on the on the market on the traditional you. market. So I was shooting a, G, a Timberghost G3 SS at uh, 52 pounds at 28 inches, and I probably draw it 27. And shooting snap shooting pheasant, I was probably drawing at 24 to 26 inches. Yeah. And we, I, I had a, a dozen flu flu arrows built with five inch fletchings, helical, four fletched flu flus. I had a dozen made because I figured that I was going to lose some arrows. Well, I remember us talking about it too, you know, in, in one of the conversations after we decided, you know, we're, we're going. That was my question. I'm like, arrows. I mean, I'm an archer, but I'm not a traditional archer. I, I shoot a compound bow, which actually. Is only sixty, only eight pounds more than what your trad bow is. Right. But we got to talking about arrows, and I was like, "Dude, what kind of broadheads are you going to use? Flu flu arrows, and are we going to be able to pack enough arrows in the vehicle that we go up there for you?" <laughs> Did you envision arrows just like stacked to the ceiling I, in this thing? I envisioned them to be scattered all over Kansas. Is what I envisioned them yeah. to be. And after a day of shooting, we did not lose a single arrow. Not one arrow. That was the guide was absolutely impressed with that. We he, didn't lose a single he arrow. Says, Man, he said we did not lose a single arrow today. That's pretty. I was impressed with that. Yeah, me too. So what I did? So I had these flu flu arrows built. And for those who wouldn't know what a flu flu is, a flu flu is a is a arrow with about a three inch fletching that like three inches from the shaft to the tip of the fletching, five inches long. And so they make basically these big wind vanes that slow the arrow down. So the arrow comes out of the bow hot, comes out fast, but then it, uh, but then it, it, the, the feathers slow the arrow down. Isn't there four veins on it too instead of three? Or, or is well, it three? four feathers. They're not veins. Well, veins yeah. is well, plastic. Well, that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Come on, man. And they... They, uh, I'm testing them, getting this worked out here. There we go. So there are four of them, and but I was shooting those uh, guillotine turkey heads, which ended up being our demise. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you that was a mistake. Uh, so there, there are these three bladed heads that have straight razor blades that are about two and a half to three inches long and they're three blades and they just have kind of a like a like almost like a field point center with three blades that stick off at 90 degree angles to the shaft of the arrow is that a good description that's pretty good yeah and my my theory was that it would be a big area about you know the broadhead ultimately is about as the circumference of a baseball and so as opposed to just like a single blade or a regular blade broadhead that would have like an inch cutting diameter like this would be about the size of a baseball right and i thought well if i clip a wing or if i hit a bird somewhere it's gonna it's gonna take him down and the dog's gonna be able to get the bird right well that ended up being a mistake using those and we would late we'd find out later in the day but to make a long story short, I got 35, I shot 35 times today at Pheasants. Yes. On camera. On camera. 
35 shots. Um, the outfitter we were with, um, good guys up here in Kansas, uh, we were hunting with, with a guy that was using uh, German short hair pointers. Awesome dogs, man. I love anything. Anytime that you're hunting or I'm hunting, if, there, if there's a dog involved in it, a good dog, a trained dog, it enhances the experience so much, and it just there it just brings an extra something to the hunt that it's just hard yeah. to describe. You know, especially if you're a dog lover, if you like dogs, if you like hunting dogs, dogs that are are bred to to do a job, and when and when they get out there and you get to experience it with them and watch them do it. It's and and if you know a little bit about dogs, even just a little bit, you it impress you how how they utilize them and and how you, a dog's nat you can see a desire that they they love what they're doing. Yeah, you know, and it was it was really cool. Yeah, so he had uh, he had four German short hairs that he rotated throughout the day. And basically, we, we were hunting these big CRP fields, which would just look like uh, hay meadows. Right. You know, that would vary in grass height from like uh, like grass maybe just above your knee to grass almost up to your chest. Yeah. At different times. Yeah. And these big CRP fields, it just this part of Kansas is just super flat. And there would be roads cut through the CRP where they were driving up and down the roads, just farmers and whatnot. But they also had uh, strips of milo. Um, they had strips of milo that were put there to feed pheasants. And so like, there might be 250 yards of CRP and there'd be a strip of milo. Yeah. 250 yards of CRP and a strip of milo. Yeah, like what were those things, 20 20 yards wide, maybe? 20, 20 yards wide. That's right. And uh, so we were just hunting these little milo strips. And what was amazing to me is that you would see these pheasants out in the milo. Yeah. It was almost like a spot and stalk pheasant hunt. Yeah, yeah it really was. And uh, these were wild birds. They were, uh, they were wild birds, but a lot of them, some of them were incubated birds, which I didn't know anything about. No, that was a new one on me. They called them surrogated birds. Right. And they explained, the way the guy explained it is they put this, I guess it's a brooder, but it's a box. It was probably five foot wide, um, maybe the size, yeah, about five foot wide, probably. Eight foot long. Yeah, eight foot long and maybe ten inches deep. Right. They had a heater in it and water and food in there. And they put those chicks in there, those pheasant chicks in there, when they are one day old. And they take these things, they take them out in springtime to, that coincides with At the same time of the natural hatch. Yeah, the natural hatch. So, and, you know, predators can't get, get, get to them. And there's no human interaction with them whatsoever. That, everything's automated. And after five or six weeks, depending on the weather, he said that at five weeks they would turn them loose if there wasn't a lot of water on the ground, if it wasn't really wet. If it was, or if it was, they would wait a week later and then turn them loose and right. put them out. And they're just, I mean, from then on, it's, you know, you're on your own, pal. Right. And so 
they basically they in different parts of Kansas they use these surrogate surrogate birds, I guess, yeah. to to supplement the natural breeding populations of birds. Right. And uh, but these birds are raised wild. They've never been handled by people. I mean, they were they were wild birds. They were plenty but wild. It, it was a little bit different than what I thought. Um, and I and I, I think we had kind of an unnatural amount of birds, if I'm being honest about it. Which you know, more power to them. Um, it's a lot of. We had a lot of opportunity today, and um, but did I already say how many times I shot? Nope. Are you sure I didn't? It's worth saying again. I shot. Well, hold on. Maybe I hadn't said it yet. I've said it so many times, I can't remember if I said it on the podcast or not. <laughs> uh, so we were talking about German short hair pointers. Yep. We were talking about CRP fields and yep. this Milo. Right. And uh, and basically, we were we were the the wind was blowing from the same direction most of the day, and so we would approach these fields on the downwind side and let the birds work into the wind. And uh, dogs work into the wind. The the dogs work into the wind. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. And the the so for those of you who might, who might not have upland bird hunted before these are pointing dogs so these dogs are smelling birds and they're pointing and they're literally with their noses and their eyes pointing to where the bird is holed up and then you walk in and flush the bird right you 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 scare the bird and he erupts from his from wherever he's hiding and and that is wing shooting when you're shooting that bird when he's off the ground. Yeah. And uh, in an ideal situation, you get just this beautiful point. You have time to walk to the bird. You flush the bird. The bird gets up and you shoot. But these birds were pretty darn wild. Yeah, and, they, and, and pressured too. And pressured. And so I I I, I don't know if we could put a percentage on it, but I would say that. I bet 40%, maybe 35% of the birds that we even shot at were not a classic point and flush situation. Do you right. understand what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. Like maybe the dog would be working the bird, working the bird, and by working the bird, it would mean that the dog would scent, he would smell the bird. We would know there must be a bird close by watching the tail, by watching the body posture of this, this bird dog. And we're like, okay, there's a bird in here somewhere. The ideal scenario would be he'd lock up and be like, bam, there's the bird. But maybe the bird would get up 10 yards from the dog or yeah. 15 yards from the dog and and fly off. And sometimes we would get a shot at that bird and sometimes we wouldn't because um, it, when, when the bird gets up from an unknown location, that's when you're at a massive dis- disadvantage especially with a bow or with a shotgun okay now I-, I would say you know if i'm just guessing i would say 60 percent of the time it was a classic point when the dog is just rock solid on point we go in and flush the bird and we pretty much know where it's coming from yeah okay i was coming into this hunt with uh with no knowledge of pheasants or how they fly I mean, I was on YouTube the other day looking for how pheasants fly. Um, and I'll tell you what I learned today is that when a pheasant is in pretty deep, thick cover, like 
like chest high grass, he's got to get some vertical jump before he starts to really rock and roll with his wings to get that movement away. And so the ideal situation for us was to get a bird in real thick stuff so that he had to come up out of it. Because when he's coming up out of it, going straight vertical, he's not going real fast. Yeah, and there's also, like, there's a moment, like shooting a, a, a spring and teal on a, on a sporting clay range. Spring and teal is, a, is the clay that goes straight up off the ground, goes straight up in the air, and it, there's a moment in there, the best time to shoot that thing is just, it was when it hits the apex of its flight and stops. Yeah, you know, and that's yeah, when yeah. you shoot it. And there, and there, when that bird comes up out of there, there's almost a moment where he's tran before he transitioned from vertical flight to smoking it out of the area, going downwind. That that he's got that little hesitation, and that's that was what we were looking for to be able to shoot it with the bow. Right. When you would spook one out of thin cover, I felt like that they would just shoot out of there like a rocket at a more steep angle as opposed to a more vertical angle. Yeah, it was almost like they were coming up and going going downwind already as soon as you saw them. They were just gone. And and they they might not get more than five feet off the ground. Yeah. Also, the wind was blowing heavily <laughs> yeah. today. How fast yeah. do you think the wind was blowing? Yeah, it's 15 or 20 miles an hour is what okay. it was forecasted. And That's right. I would say it was every bit of it. So 15 to 20 mile per hour winds. And what these birds do is they get up and they fly with the wind. Yeah. That, so once they hit that wind current, bam, they're gone. Um, so I didn't have much experience with, 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 with pheasants or zero experience with pheasants I had. I do I do have experience shooting quail with shotguns and shooting skeet with shotguns. Right. So that would have been my experience. Uh, I did a little bit of practicing. I had my son go out in the yard with me, and with these flu-flu arrows, we were shooting at uh, kind of like coffee cans that we were throwing up in the air and uh, had, you know, some success with that. Do you think that helped you? I don't think it did. I really don't. I, I mean, I don't know that it did. Um, but I don't know. It, it, it wasn't really that realistic. It just kind of got you thinking about shooting a moving target. Right. I think that's probably the only thing that did. The, yeah. the, I can tell you, the best way to practice for a hunt like this is just to go. Now, if I was going back out tomorrow to do this again... I think I probably would be better. I just don't know how I wouldn't be. Um, you also might just get lucky quicker, and then you would think you were better. <laughs> well, I mean, any, you know, muscle memory. You know, it's just like shooting that trad bow now. You know, you you just you work at it, and you work at it, and you work at it until you get proficient with it. So it may it may not have been tomorrow. It may it may have been next week. But yeah. you you kept doing it. You would have figured it out, and you. Man, the misses that that you had is, and you could be able to see it on the video. Some of them were not. I mean, it was the difference in the way the broadhead was turned. The, exactly. I mean, it was. I, there like was two or three of them. It was like I don't. Up or yeah. Whether the prong was 
to the right or to the left. Yeah, I don't know how that didn't didn't hit him. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they were close, and you're you're talking about a very minuscule amount of a deviation on arrow flight or the bird's flight or the wind blowing to yeah. be able to change all that. Well, I don't know if I've said it yet, but I shot 35 times at, at pheasants today. 35 shots at pheasants. And I straight up hit only one of them in the air. Dead, solid, perfect shot. One out of three. Now, that, that's, that statement's not entirely true because I did hit two that were on the ground. I cut feathers off one. You know, no. throughout the day, you know, when you're wing shooting, you don't shoot a bird on the ground. But as we got further throughout the day, a few times, you know, I was just like, okay, we're just meat hunting here. Yeah, let's and get something a, for the skillet. And we had a pheasant in some of this milo that we could see standing up out there at about maybe 18 yards yeah. just looking at us and the dog was at point and um, and I just was like hey I'm just gonna try to skillet shoot this thing <laughs> and um, I missed a couple on the ground and uh, but one I just straight up hit right in the tail feathers yeah and uh, it didn't kill him cut his cut his tail feathers off yeah I'm gonna make some trout flies out of that well yeah so I I appreciate him donating that to the cause. Yeah, we probably could have just ordered them online for a little less drama <laughs> than what we went through to do this. But anyway. So 35 shots, 35 shots, and late in the day. Uh, was it like shot number 32 or 31? That you hit it? Yeah. Uh, it was, I think so. That, that's pretty close. Well, shot number 31, let's say, bird gets up right in front of us, goes to my to my left in a heavy crosswind, and uh, draw, and you're just drawing and snap shooting, drawing and snap shooting, trying to have pressure on the back of the, you know, on the string when the bird's about to get up, you think. And I shot, and I mean, you know, had to lead the bird because he was going, hor- you know, perpendicular to me almost yeah and just thud just just nailed the bird in the air and man i'll be darned if that sucker didn't just fly off like i mean it didn't take him out of the air i mean it just hit him we saw a little bit of a puff of feathers yeah and then we watched him sail about another hundred yards and he did a little dipsy do before he landed which made us think that we were going to get him, actually. Yeah. And we, we went in there with the dog to try to find him, and we never recovered the bird. But yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't think it killed the bird. I don't think so either because, I mean, we had the dog right there, and we saw where he went down, and he, I don't think he killed him. Yeah. Well. And that's when we learned about the broadheads was – Right. At, at that. We basically had two two times that the broadheads just bounced off the animal. Yeah. Hey, why don't you uh why don't you pull out the text message thread that behind my back that you were uh writing to uh a few your, your So I I had a group text message with my oldest nephew and my and my older brother. And I was give I give them a rundown. I sent them a text this morning at like seven thirty and I said, Hey, we're filming uh 
a pheasant hunt in uh, Kansas today at uh, Upland Inn Hunts. Sent them a link to the website so they could check it out. And I said, Clay's going to be using his primitive bow. I'm sure we're going to be having bologna for supper tonight. <laughs> so they, they got a little charge out of that. They both You kind of walked them into this. Yeah, they give they they give the uh, the uh, complimentary ha ha, you know, LOL. So about three oh three, I sent them a text. We're zero for nineteen so far. <laughs> My oldest nephew's response was, "Dad, gum." My oldest brother says, "Well, you're no more surprised than I am." Somebody needs to be backing that guy up with a shotgun. At least y'all can get something to eat. <laughs> Seven minutes later, it's 310, and we're 0 for 21. <laughs> so, you know, that was something to be said that we talked about. You know, the, the action was steady. Steady. You know, it was, we were we getting were on. Shooting, we buddy. were covering ground. We were getting on birds, and the opportunities were were there. So we got... After I said, oh, for 21, my oldest nephew says, you know, we may be looking at a new record. And my response to that was he's raising or lowering the bar with every shot. So I guess it's, you know, how you want to interpret that. So, <laughs> and then the text of the day was the response that said from my nephew that says, I guess it could be both. The man is setting new heights of suckage. You just do you, Clay. And so and that, then he went on to say, "Oh my gosh, they uh, they talked about said, uh, well, it looks like you guys are going to be eating at the Sonic." When I sent the text for O for thirty two, Matthew's come back and said, "Maybe maybe Clay should try shooting at some sitting hens." <laughs> <laughs> he might be able to get a couple of those. Oh man, these guys! Anyway, they they were uh, they were really thrilled that we were up here doing this and thought it was way cool. And they also thought you guys will not kill any pheasants. And they were right. And they were right. They were right. They were right this time. Well, so we. Uh, I feel good though because I, I I did I said that if we came up here today and I killed one pheasant now I did say if I killed one pheasant right. that the trip would be a success and I I shot one pheasant good enough to kill it yep and I, actually two if we count the one on the ground yep that we shot right. two good enough to kill but it, we didn't kill them the 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 arrow just bounced off of them but. Cool. You know, I think the moral of the story inside of this is um, wing shooting anim- wing shooting birds is super fun, and don't be afraid to just try something different. Like we certainly could have brought shotguns up here, and we could have both limited it out by noon. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. By noon, we had been on fifteen or so. I would think. Yeah, you know, we so took a little break and ate lunch. And the limit of the limit in Kansas for for pheasants is four pheasants per license hunter per day. And um, anyway, man, it was a super fun hunt. I think we're going to make a video. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to go down, but you'll probably be able to see me missing 
33 out of 35 times. <laughs> you and, know, uh, wing shooting is not easy with a shotgun. Yeah. It is really not easy shooting a bow. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to do it again. I, I, it can be done. I know it can be done. We need to change up our broadhead, and we got to come up with some type of drill. So I don't know if it's going to be me hitting softballs with a bat and you shooting at them or, yeah. or what, but it's going to take, uh, it's, uh, it'll, it's going to take some practice. Yeah. Well, I, I think it, I think it would also help to do it in multiple days. Sure like if we were going back out tomorrow after yeah. 35 shots today, I feel like I would just be a little more in tune with what was about to happen Yeah. because about the first 15 shots, I learned all the moves that pheasant have, okay? I mean, like, if a pheasant getting up could be categorized, I bet there's 15 different ways that they can do it. Yeah. Sometimes they come straight up. Sometimes they go with the wind and stay low. A pheasant can fly probably quarter mile, or they might just fly 50, 60, 70 yards and light. And so and you down, can yeah. go. you can go after them again. So you know, yeah, we did just, that several times. Yeah, we, a lot of the, a lot of birds we got more than one shot at because we would watch where they went and go get them. And so you know, the first fifteen shots, I was just learning what pheasants do, and yeah. then after that, I was a lot a lot. Uh, I mean, I kind of knew what was probably going to happen, but you you just all, you know there were a couple of times when I was just out of position when I had a real good opportunity. The very first shot that I shot at today, I actually cut feathers. Yeah. And that was probably the most ideal pheasant movement of the day. It was, yeah, a, that bird was a, thick cover, a bird in thick cover that came straight up and just kind of hovered there for a minute almost. And I was able to shoot. And, I mean, it just, oh, it, it looked like it just was going to torch He's him. Probably five or six yards away when he, come, when yeah. he came up. Yeah. And, and and you know cut feathers off the bird yeah and uh so you know there there were a lot of shots that just looked good but super fun and you know i think we we wanted to talk about like some of the benefits of small game hunting but you know i mean i'm i'm a big game hunter at heart big time but if you can branch out do some social hunting you know you've heard me talk about it so many times but there's so many benefits to small game hunting none of not of which the least is uh the social aspects of it i mean if we were deer hunting today or bear hunting today we probably would all been off by ourselves and coming back to camp to talk about what happened but you know we're together all day with our guide arden and just had a good time yeah we probably walked there brent was guessing closer to 10 miles i was guessing closer to seven to eight miles that we walked i mean we walked a lot today Bid. we, we did. truly walked a but lot the ground you know the ground's it's just flat ground right it's, it's uh it's pretty easy walking not no issues there you know it was um and the guides you know arden he put us he would put us out put us in one direction taking the dogs we take the dogs we'd go into the wind with the dogs and he you know he may come around on the other side a quarter of a mile away and pick us up and then we would you know go to a different 
different area or whatever. So there was a lot of lot of movement. We we traveled a lot, a lot of different fields that we looked at. So they and they've got man, they they got a lot of places to hunt up there and a lot of birds. So it was it was something all the time. There was no there was no downtime. No downtime. We didn't even break for lunch. No. We knew we had one day to get it done. If we'd had a couple of days, we probably would have taken it a little bit more easy. But when uh, when uh, when it came lunchtime, you know, we we could have broke and gone back and had lunch in town or something. And I just said, "Hey, let's just keep hunting. Let's just eat some snacks and just keep hunting." But anyway, small game hunting is fun, super fun, great time of year to do it. Whether you're squirrel hunting or pheasant hunting and and you know these hunts aren't aren't cheap but at the same time they're not expensive like if a guy was going to uh if a guy was going to plan for this you know a lot of these places are around four hundred dollars uh a day for for hunting and and having a place to stay and having meals and whatnot yeah the facilities were very nice the food was awesome yeah you know, and if you think about even going on a vacation, let's just say you were going to go on a three-day vacation, you know, you're gonna, and you're going to stay in a decent hotel, you're going to spend $100 to $150 on a decent hotel, wherever you're going to stay. And anyway, I mean, it, that's a lot of money to me. Uh, but at the same time, that's not a lot of money. Um, yeah. So it's it's affordable, and this was an outfitted hunt for sure. And now there's there's places where you can hunt, uh, do it yourself hunting if you've got dogs, um, but not out here. And I can tell you, you probably wouldn't have. I, I doubt there's many places where you could get as much action as we did in a short amount of time. But um, it was a fun hunt. Absolutely, fun hunt. Well worth the trip. Well worth the six hours. That my only complaint. This gas station coffee that was strained through an old tennis shoe that we stopped about 10 minutes ago or and the, an hour ago and got. And the guy that looked like he'd uh, combed his hair with a pork chop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that guy. Don't be him. Don't be <laughs> Hey, this is just going to be a, a short podcast. Wanted to talk to you about our, uh, to talk to you about our, our, our pheasant hunt in Kansas. You can check out this video at Bear Hunting Magazine YouTube channel. And uh, Brent, any closing thoughts? Let's see. If we're keeping score, you were one for 35 and I was 35 for 35. But I was shooting mine with a camera. Mm, that makes me feel real good, man. Makes me feel real warm and cozy inside. That's all I got, bro. It's It's a good time. Always a good time with you, and I enjoy it. Well, thanks for going, man. So, all right, we'll keep the wild places wild because that's where the pheasants live. Forever. Pheasants forever. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. 
They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.